1: Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, our regularly scheduled interview show that we produce here pretty much weekly on the Pro Cannabis Media Network. As you know, we like you to like, share, and subscribe, not just to this show, but all the original programs that we live stream and share with you, the audience, on a weekly basis. And now, a 24 7 live streaming experience on our website. Procannabismedia.com. That's an addition to the PCM TV streaming channel on Roku and your Apple streaming channel applications that are out there. I'm so excited to be talking to a guest today because in a lot of ways, I like to think of myself at least as an amateur professor at the college ranks. I teach at Curry mm-hmm. College, Dean College, Emerson College in the greater Boston area. This year, I'm back in the classroom to teach my introduction to sports casting course. And I always find it a little awkward, especially when the kids ask me, hey Jimmy, what are you doing now? <laughs> I said, well, I built a media company about the cannabis industry. And of course that gets your giggles. Mm-hmm. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the, the sociology of cannabis, if you will, the, the stigma, the challenges, and the role that this plant has played in our society uh, for hundreds of years, if you know anything about the history. His name is Phil Lamy. He is with the Vermont University at Castleton. Uh, that's in Castleton, Vermont. And Phil, thank you so much for joining us here today.
0: Well, you're welcome, Jimmy. Thanks for having
1: me. And tell us a little bit about the course that you teach there. And uh, what are the elements of the, is it the sociology of cannabis?
0: Well, what we have is uh, we just completed our third year of a program. It's a twelve-credit program called the Cannabis Studies Certificate Program, uh, in which there are three basic courses and then an internship. Uh, the courses are uh, a course in cultivation called Cannabis Cultivation and Care, uh, and we have a course in business, Cano Business, uh, and then I teach uh, kind of the uh, the survey course called Cannabis Culture and Consciousness, which covers the 14,000-year history of humans and cannabis.
1: And uh, is there a textbook you use? just out of curiosity?
0: I do, I use, uh, it's, it's actually such a great time to be teaching a course on cannabis uh, right now because it's happening, right? It's in the news. There's so much to draw from uh, uh, in, from the internet, from what's going on from state to state. Uh, so that part is easy, but I do use one uh, a book, one textbook, I have it right here as a matter of fact. It's called Cannabis uh, History uh, by Martin Booth, the late Martin Booth, who was a British journalist, uh, the book was published in 2004, I believe. So it's, it's a little old, maybe a little bit outdated in terms of the last 15 or so years. But I've read just about every history of cannabis. And this is uh, the best one. I highly recommend it. Cannabis, a history. And right. it's just highly detailed. It's a good read. It's rich. It's deep. Uh, uh, and a lot of surprising things in, in there, even for me.
1: Yeah. Well, th- that's the beauty of, uh, of learning and reading. You're always going to learn something for the most part, especially if you're reading nonfiction uh, and especially in, in the cannabis space, because, you know, it's funny you said uh, it was published. I think you said 2004. Correct. Uh, I just read a book that was written in 2020 that was published in 2020. That was dated. Okay. I mean, it's like, it takes a while, not only to write the book, but to get it out there and published. And it's a fascinating time to be in the cannabis industry because things are happening so fast. And yet- Those that are in the industry, we call it cannabis time because it does take time. And we all know that there hasn't been any movement at the federal reform level at this point in time, as we record this in the uh, summer of 2022. Uh, Have you noticed that the, the cannabis clock, and even though we've accomplished quite a bit over the last four years, it's really been a long, slow process, hasn't it?
0: It's a long, slow process. And your, your comment about the, the changes, and those changes uh, are gonna continue on really for, for the next few decades. I mean, we see right now uh, all the states that have uh, either legalized uh, recreational or medical marijuana, they're all different, right? And even for, even in a state like Vermont, it's going to change as, as time goes by. But you know, your comment just about the long time that this has been coming uh, uh, causes me to mention this point, uh, my students, you know, my students are like 18 to 22, for the most part. And they <laughs> often say to me, they often say to me, Professor lamy you know, I can't believe I'm living in a time where, you know, marijuana is finally becoming legal. And I'm like, you can't believe it. You know, 45 years ago, when I was in college, I thought this was going to be legal by the time I graduated. So, you know, I can't believe that it's finally happening. But, uh, uh, but I think things are speeding up. I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on, obviously, at the state level, in legislatures, uh, at the federal level. I think people at the federal level are trying to make things happen, but we live in such a politically divisive age these days that even those, say, Republicans, that might be, and there are a lot of them that might like to see this happen, if only for business reasons, you know, just don't want to give Democrats the win. So I think we're stuck uh, with political divisiveness, which is adding to the uh, uh, the, the, the tedium and the, and the slowness that is happening, but it's happening. I live in Vermont, uh, uh October 1st, we're going to be launching retail, uh, uh, cannabis, uh, uh, hemp has been legal for several years now. There's a lot happening. Uh, and it, at the same time, it's a very exciting time to be in. It's like, it's like being at the start of the industrial revolution. There's, you know, so many cool things that are happening and who knows where it's going to go, but uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's an exciting time to be uh, alive. Uh,
1: if you're interested in cannabis culture, cannabis history, the cannabis right. species, as we now call it. And and as a former history major at Tufts University way back in the '70s, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I refer to my major as old news, okay, because I spent 30 years in newsrooms, and we are in a historic time right now. We are in a newsworthy time right now. And it's one of the reasons why my vision of creating an army of multimedia journalists to document the end of cannabis prohibition in this country is now coming to fruition here at Pro Cannabis Media with our live stream of 24-7. And no, I agree with you. Did I ever think that I would be Uh, talking about cannabis and actually having and getting subscribers and a following. Now Um, it's, it's a fascinating time to be in this industry and I've met some of the coolest people and I don't just mean cool rock star cool, but also just people that are passionate about it in their twenties and thirties and want to be part of this industry and want to be part of history. And that is really what I'm, you know, that's what drives me. Uh, am I wrong? Am I out here in an island by myself or are there others no, who recognize this too? You, uh, The word
0: passion is a good one, I think, because I've seen the same thing. So many of the people that are involved in this cannabis space at the moment are people who have always been there, right? Uh, I think we use the term legacy, you know, cannabis cultivators and <clears throat> uh, people that are involved in it. I think of it in terms of a culture. You know, one of my my interests over the years as a sociologist has been uh, in subcultures and countercultures like you, I came of age in the late 1960s and 70s when cannabis was such a part of that culture, that subculture, that counterculture. Uh, Um... And uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's people who are passionate about it. I've seen the same thing in the conferences that I've gone to, the students that I've had, other people like yourself who are involved. You know, this isn't Certainly there were people who are just getting into it because it's the latest thing and maybe there's some money to be made. But my experience so far is that most people involved in this culture, I like the term cannabis culture, that's always been there, that's continuing to evolve, uh, um, are, are, are in it for the, for the right reasons.
1: How many times have you heard cannabis has saved my life, cannabis has changed my life amongst those that are in the industry and those that have been impacted by this plant.
0: I hear that all the time. I hear it from, from students, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned to me earlier about, uh, um, you know, talking about sports, the sports leagues and what's happening in in, uh, in terms of regulations and, and laws and testing. It's, it's interesting that I think, uh, yeah, our program as you can imagine has been very popular uh, particularly among the traditional age students, and I would say uh, you know uh, and of all the courses, um, probably the two groups of students that seem to predominate in the class or that we tend to have a lot of those students uh, are, are students in uh, the health sciences, right uh, including nursing right, who see the medical potential of it, uh, and then athletes, student athletes or those in the various forms of, of you know whether it's a uh, uh, sports medicine, sports management, coaching, uh, are just you know students who are student athletes, and and they use it quite regularly. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And I'm not just talking about smoking marijuana. I'm talking about using all kinds of products uh, to relieve uh, stress and uh, and pains at the end of a you know a game or a long week of practices, and it seems to be very very common. So. They, and, and they are very uh, attuned to what's going on. You know, they are, they have, you know, it, there's so many marijuana myths that have been out there that you know have been out there for decades. And most of these students, they know of that. You know, they've got so much information at their fingertips with the internet, up-to-date information and research. They're paying attention to what's going on. Uh, So, uh, um, and and again, as you say, they're passionate about it as well. So it's, uh, once again, it's an exciting time to be uh, talking and studying cannabis. Who would ever have thought, right, you and I years ago that we'd be teaching cannabis studies uh, in college? As I like to say, it's a new era in higher
1: education. That's right. There's so many puns and plays on words in this industry. It That's can a terrible be fun. It. It is, It's all right. Just, by the way, they're all pretty terrible, but they're fun. <laughs> you know, they're truly uh, worth mm. sharing and just saying, oh, you know, roll your eyes and you go on. I do want to ask you a question that I haven't prepared you for. So I want to I want to ask you this question. When I was growing up, OK, in the 60s and 70s, OK, I'm going to be 65 in a few weeks. OK, so I'm not afraid of sharing my my age with others. Uh, The drinking age, the adult age was 18, where you could actually be drafted and you could actually go drink in a bar at age 18. Now, I was blessed because when the law changed at 21, I was 21. And here I am at 65, still living to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. To me, this is all about education. There are fewer alcoholics in Europe than there are in america and I, I use alcohol as an example because it's been accepted by society a lot longer than cannabis has and yet i think everyone who looks at those two products recognizes they're both adult products one can have a far more damaging experience and the other we're still learning about the experiences and the anecdotal, the power of the anecdotal evidence of those who perhaps used it when they were 12, 13, 14, and are still using it today in their 60s, 70s, and some even in their 80s. And I'm not talking about rolling a joint and smoking. It goes back to what you said, cannabis derivatives, whether it's the CBD cannabinoid or the CBN cannabinoid. There are so many chemicals uh, that that are now being discovered because Mm. we're finally able to research this plant and look at the history of it as well. Of all of those factors, To you, what's the most interesting development as far as the acceptance of this plant as a medicine in our society? Well, let me say uh, jimmy
0: i'm i'm 66 years old so my experience was exactly the same as yours we were always one step ahead of the curve when it we went from 18 to 20 to 21.
1: i felt blessed um, did you feel yeah. blessed did you feel blessed I, do. <laughs> I tell
0: my students that all the time i feel i'm so lucky uh, and 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 it's ridiculous i mean yeah i think um yeah i think we should go back to 18 to be quite frank Yep. You know, most of the rest of I the world you know it has much lower drinking ages or no drinking ages and and you know it, it, people are taught to, to you know to drink responsibly and you know uh, there's an interesting point that's often made you know why American college students drink so irresponsibly and the answer is because drinking responsibly is illegal they can't do it and the same thing holds for, for cannabis you know um, you know it's 21 it's going to be 21 in most states and it's probably what it will be at the federal level just like alcohol. Um, And I I don't know about you, but uh, my research both uh, in in teaching this class and uh, and just reading the studies and reading the histories, uh, most Americans began smoking marijuana, you know, in their teens, you know, I started when I was 17, a junior in high school. Uh, have done it ever since. And, and all my students, you know, I, I have them do a kind of a, uh, an anonymous uh, a survey at the beginning of the class to tell me about, you know, to write down, uh, you know, when they first, uh, you know, tried cannabis, uh, was it marijuana? Who were you with? How, when did it happen? What did you do? You know, the various ways that you use it. That's where I get all this information with athletes saying, you know, they use it in so many different ways. But, but 90% of them and 90% of them in the classroom, you know, have tried marijuana or have smoked marijuana. And they tried it the first time when they were, you know, usually 15, 16, 17, either in high school or in college, you know, few on either end, either before that or after that. Uh, and, and, and so then we, we get into this whole discussion. I give them articles about, you know, this, you know, this current uh, argument that, you know, the, uh, the, the teen, uh, adolescent uh, brain is under, you know, such you know, rapid development at that time is so vulnerable to any disruption, you know, that even smoking marijuana at that age on a regular basis can seriously, you know, uh, uh, injure your, 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 your brain health, your memory, uh, uh, etc., your ability to be uh, successful. And, and I, I don't know, I'm beginning to think, Jimmy, that that might be a new marijuana myth. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's hard to huh. say that, you know, because everybody seems to believe it. Right. We've got all these brain studies and brain scans and MRIs and everybody right. seems to accept, you know, that the teen brain uh, uh, will be severely damaged by that. I don't know about you. You know, I, I started when I was 17 and I think I'm pretty fine. I know lots of people I grew up with who are, you know, do all kinds of things. There are other professors, doctors, lawyers, farmers, <laughs> neighbors relatives, you know, we all started when we were in our teens, and many of us are still doing it, and we don't feel like we've been all that damaged.
1: Yeah, and um, and, and, I- and 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 Professor Phil with a PhD and master's uh, next to your name, okay, uh, it is amazing that you have accomplished what you have, and this is one of the reasons I laugh about this. I'm leaving my body and my brain to science, okay, because I'm going to give them a list before I die of all the things I put in my body so they can see the effect on my brain and on my liver and on my stomach and my lungs and wherever, wherever you can see when you go inside my body, which is a scary thought, to be honest with you, because it is not a temple. It's been a nightmare, and, that's, and I also think at some point I was an athlete. I know I was, in fact, but I look back at my experiences. And, you know, I try to compare it with some of the stories that I hear from some of those that are uh, have been most impacted by the failed war on drugs, the people in our cities, the African-American people, those of color, Latin America, whichever indigenous people in our society, Um, the the groups that the white colonists, okay, who came to this country first and touched down it. Plymouth Rock, if I remember my history correct, in Massachusetts. Okay, the first thing they did was kind of put those uh, people that were here before us uh, in cages and slaughter them, and and put them into little reservations and call it uh, and call it a day. Um, it, it's a very sad thing that the white colonists coming to this country has impacted for the uh, power for the power and the control of societal norms and laws and if you look back at history it becomes more and more apparent that race has played a huge role in our history and and cannabis has been used as a political tool to kind of maintain that. And if you look at the history of the word and of uh, the, uh, the um, 1937 Tax Act that basically prohibited its use and its study and its acceptance. And then, of course, I'm sure you know, Harry Anslinger was not exactly a politically correct figure, but he still was the head of the first drug, ed- 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 the DEA, right? So race has always played a role in the acceptance of cannabis in our society. What's your uh, opinion about that, Mr. Doctor and Professor of Sociology? Because I tend to rant and rave as a talk show host.
0: <laughs> well, you're talking to a professor, so we're kind of in the same business. I get it. Yeah, We like to talk. Uh, no, yeah. I don't, there's no doubt uh, as to the racist history of, of cannabis. And you point out to Harry Anslinger, if anybody's looking for a, you know, uh, an antagonist. Uh, you know, one of the the person who's probably most responsible for us, you know, uh, prohibiting, demonizing, criminalizing marijuana uh, and cannabis, even non marijuana, you know, get high uh, cannabis. It's Harry Anslinger, and yeah. uh, and it's a fascinating history in the book that I mentioned, Cannabis: A History. That 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 history is covered quite uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, what's interesting is that early on, uh, uh, Harry uh, was not that opposed to marijuana. He didn't think it was really that big a problem. Uh, until he got into uh, a contest, a conflict with um, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI uh, for funding uh, for their agencies. Uh, and he turned to, since he couldn't do alcohol any longer, uh, uh, he turned to you know, the next thing that he could, uh, you know, whip up money and support for, and that, was, and that was marijuana. And of course, the people he targeted, as you pointed out, uh, were ethnic minorities, uh, including African-Americans, uh, Mexican immigrants, uh, anybody associated with those groups, <clears throat> including you know, white jazz musicians, hanging out with black jazz musicians. So the tremendous racism. And it goes beyond that. The history, uh, uh, and you're right, uh, uh, outside of Western white, you know, capitalist Christian culture, uh, uh, many other cultures around the world were using cannabis uh, and other plant uh, uh, substances for you know for largely for religious purposes as well as medicinal purposes and social and cultural purposes not to mention all the other things you can do with it fiber for example uh, and it really I think it begins in a lot of ways with the British British colonizing India uh, back in the 18th and 19th century and you know uh, seeing all these these you know uh, uh all these subjects these indian subjects which of course they saw as inferior to them in terms of their culture their religion their history and and the kinds of uh, uh, traditions and rituals that they had including around cannabis you know what's interesting one of the uh, um really interesting things to me and stop stopping if i'm going on a little too long here one of the surprising things i really picked up in this book years ago when i first read it uh was the number of large-scale studies on uh, the use of cannabis you know we hear all the time even to this day you know people who are opponents of cannabis who want to continue to go slow often say well, you know, we don't really have a lot of good research on cannabis. On it's pharmaceutical, <laughs> it's medical, it's physical, it's all these other, you know, effects. We really don't have it. And I used to believe that as well. And of course, one of the main reasons is because the U.S. government has forbid uh, researchers to look into it. Unless they were looking for bad things, you know, you couldn't look for the p- possible uh, potential benefits. Uh, and I was just mentioning India, you know, so the uh, Indian government, I'm sorry, the British government so concerned about the, you know, the the common use uh, by Indians uh, uh, in using cannabis that they set out to do a major study. What should we do about this? And somewhere here I have one of the volumes of the study. Check this out. Published in 1894, it's called the Report on the Indian Hemp Drugs Commission 1893-94, and this is one of three volumes, which looked at. You know, the pharmaceutical properties, the psychological effects of cannabis, you know, the medicinal properties, you know, how the, how the, uh, uh, um, the Indians used it in terms of culture and, and society and religion. And, and they had doctors, they had sociologists, they had pharmacologists, they had psychologists. It was like a two-year study. They looked at everything. It's a fantastic study. It's very scientific. Uh, uh, and essentially what they found out was it's really not that big a deal. Right. You know, it, we probably have more problems if we may, if we outlawed this and all the myths that, that they believe that it caused psychosis and, you know, people went in sale asylums and it caused murder. None of that turned out to be true, right? We still hear these things now. None of it turned out to be true. There were certain problems here and there, but you know, the, the, the end result, the conclusion was we'll probably cause more damage, you know, to our control of India. If we outlaw this thing, <clears throat> we should just leave it alone. And you know what the Indian government did? They, threw it under the rug, right? Just like all the other studies that have been done over the years, including the United States, is a, a famous study done in Jamaica, the Jamaican Ganja study done in the middle of the 1970s. And, and those researchers have followed that up to this very day. And they're looking at women who you know, consume marijuana, you know, uh, lace tea while they were pregnant, you know, children using it as medicines, you know, the whole Rastafarian culture, the Jamaican yeah. culture, Uh, uh, And those studies go on and essentially they find very few serious uh, 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 effects of of, of long-term cannabis use. And and again, my my main point here is, is there have been, and there are other studies. There were studies done in the 1970s in the United States, all kinds of really major studies. So that notion, that's another myth. There haven't been any real studies done on on cannabis. It's not true. And I've got a long list of them that I have my students read through. You know, if you make the argument, you know, that we need more double blind studies, uh, you know, controlled studies. Yes, that's true. We could use more of those, you know, once the government allows uh, that to happen more frequently. Uh, And they're starting to. So I'm going to stop there. Go ahead.
1: No, they're, they're starting to. You brought up a lot of great points. Correct. I'm behind you on 100% of most of those. Um, you're talking about the Schaefer Report, the LaGuardia Report, both Correct. both uh, U.S. government studies that came to those same conclusions. Um, one of my favorite quotes is two, two stats that I've learned from this woman, Dr. Uma Danabalan, who's a local doctor. Who is probably one of the most knowledgeable people about this plant, its history, its use, how to titrate, um, the the whole nine yards? She taught, she said a couple of things to me at the very beginning of my interview career, if you will, for, for cannabis. One is that there's been already. Thirty thousand studies of cannabis, mostly funded by the substance abuse community in the drug world, because they were looking for the negativity. What you know, there's got to be something bad. It's got to do something. You know, there's got to be something, right? And then, and then the other the other factoid I throw out there at people is the fact that uh, back in the 20th century, between 1910 and 1900, over five million prescriptions for cannabis as a medicine were written by doctors who came out of NYU med, Harvard med, Yale med. Yes. They had med schools back then. And yes, that was, that was, it goes back to your first report there in the 19th century. That's what they knew. That's where they found the med- medicinal qualities of this plant. And they wanted to use it. They really looked into it and were using it legitimately and legally as a medicine at that time, and then the, re- the Look, Mister Social here. You up. know where it's going, right? That, that, that- they did not <laughs> like the fact that who was using this as a medicine. Okay, and uh, and they wanted to perpetuate the uh, separation of the races and the sexes. I might add, and you know, again, this is part of the history of this plant, and enough people are starting to learn about it. But sharing that information is is something that I think, um, and I'll quote Aaron Smith, the executive director of the NCIA, said at a recent uh, membership drive, if we're in the industry, we're the ones who are charged with sharing this knowledge with those that have been um, thought that this was a Horrible thing. And you could be, you know, as soon as you start using it, you're going to become addicted to it. And all the horrible things that Reefer Madness put out there that was, again, funded to stigmatize and villainize this medicinal plant. And uh, again, I feel like that. That's why I do what I do. And and that's why I appreciate having someone who uh, grew up in the same era as I did um, has the knowledge behind them as well. I do want to ask you a question about the word marijuana Uh, because that was the word that was used as a, it was a slang term brought in by Mexican immigrants that was loosely translated as evil weed. And it is still part of our vernacular. We're still talking about it. There's a lot of people in the industry. In fact, doctors are trying to get it out of medical uh, journals as with the M word, getting rid of the M word and replacing it with the actual word of the plant, which is cannabis. And what's your feeling about the M word as a a word that does have um, racial connotations and some history to it?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I understand what you're saying. But, but as you point out, uh, the term really is is rooted in in Mexican culture. It was the right. you know, Mexicans who were using it. That's what they called slang. Uh, but it was slang, song. right? It was yeah. slang, right? And most of us think of it as Mary and Jane. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it did att- attain a, a kind of racist connotation, right? When it was started being when it when it was demonized by people like right. Harry Slinger. and yep. so that's why we think of it. Well, is it is it a bad term to be using because it has this racist connotation? Um, but on the other hand, you know, um, I think that. Um, it's like the term Indian, right? Uh, uh, you know, Columbus called the Native Americans Indians, and ever since, and we, we say that we have the same debate. Should we should be using that term, but my reading of, of Native American culture is most Native Americans don't mind the term Indian. They use that themselves to describe, you know, their culture. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's a, a bad reason to throw it out. On the other hand, I think when we talk about cannabis, we are talking about different types of cannabis. There is only one species of cannabis, cannabis sativa, uh, but there are many different forms, right? Uh, and the most the, the most diverse, of course, happen to be you know you know drug-oriented cannabis that with high levels of THC, and then cannabis that has low or no levels of THC, which we we call hemp, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the common you know designation these days is that. You know, high THC cannabis is called marijuana. That's the one that will get you high, you know, and the other form of cannabis, which we call hemp, right, uh, uh, it won't get you high. That's used for CBD. That's used for, for industrial purposes, for fiber. Now, neither term really, I, I think, is technically or scientifically correct. You know, a lot of the books I have, the one I was just showing you, including the Schaefer report, the LaGuardia report, uh, um, what's it? Let's see, I want to see another... Another great book I have here I would recommend uh, to people called Cannabis Evolution and Ethnobotany. If you really want a deep dive into the, the chemical, the uh, uh, cult, the uh, uh, botanical, the uh, historical roots of this plant, this is written by two you know uh, ethnobotanists. These are anthropologists to study the human uh, relationship with with plants, including and their cannabis experts. Um, and throughout the book, and this is a fairly recent book, this is an up-to-date. These are the scientists, and they use the term hemp to describe cannabis. Right. Right. And Let's, they make a distinction, as I just made. So when they're talking about what we call marijuana, they talk about you know uh, cannabis drug THC. Yep. In other words, you know the, they they call it about the cannabis drug. It's high end THC, as yep. opposed, opposed to you know uh, hemp. Uh, forms of cannabis, which have very low levels of THC. So it's interesting, you know, and years ago, hemp was the term that was used to describe all forms of cannabis. So what I think is important for people to know who don't know this, you know, uh, a lot of people think there are multiple, you know, uh, species of cannabis, right? Indica, sativa, ruderalis. And there's not, there's only one species, according to most scientists, including these guys, it's cannabis sativa. And what we call indica was when cannabis moved west into places like India and Nepal and it settled there, became cultivated there, evolved in that environment, that climate and those soils uh, and used in those cultures. It became what we tend to call indica or indica dominant. Um, so, so there's still a lot of confusion about the terms, uh, Jimmy, I don't know where it's going to end up. I, I think we have made progress. Most people know the term cannabis. I talked to some old timers older than us who say cannabis, what's that? That's a politically correct term. It's called marijuana. And I try to tell, well, you know, marijuana is one form. There's lots of other kinds of things. Uh, so cannabis is the term I think most people are using now. The term cannabis studies, which you use, is now a kind of a universal term uh, uh, used by anybody that's studying it, whether it's the, the the natural history of it or the social and cultural history of it, cannabis studies. And and now we're trying to make a distinction between the different types, you know, chemotypes or uh, uh, of the plant.
1: Why do we have to label everything? <laughs> Why do we have to label everything? Because everybody immediately has a, a profile or a stereotype or something that comes to your mind when you say certain words. Why, is that just a human behavior thing? Or should I ask a, psychi- a psychiatrist that or a psychologist that?
0: <laughs> well, I've studied linguistics as well. And yeah. life, the history of words. Well, we're humans. We have to call something something, right? Uh, we can't call it nothing. It's got to be something. Uh, but those, those terms change. I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, some critics call it political correctness, but I think sometimes, you know, the terms that are racist, you know, or hurtful or sexist in the past, it, once we identify that they were, they are, and they are harmful, Uh, I don't see a problem uh, with the word changing. And it's not like someone says, okay, you know, this term is racist or sexist. uh, uh, We have to change it. It it evolves. Right. And we're in, just as we've been talking, we're in this evolutionary stage uh, in terms of cannabis becoming more and more a part of our culture. And we're having to deal with all kinds of things. The debates are still there. And here's one of them. What do we actually call this thing? You know, um, it evolves even, you know, even the term strain right everybody uses the term strain i read fairly recently that according to horticulturists and botanists plant scientists there's no such thing as strains Correct. in plants you know it's, these are, are know. called
1: genetics now they're genetics yeah. you know that right or, or, you know chemotypes is the i used to i used to clean the genetics on an album cover i don't know about you right <laughs> right but that's that's what i used to right i mean come well, on i mean
0: genetics yeah
1: we, we you know we've been there. We played with the we've played with the herb. We've played with the plant. Um, you know it it is a um, it's first of all it's great to talk with an age appropriate person that's educated about cannabis. I just I just want to throw that out there. I, I've enjoyed this a lot, and I know I could keep going and deeper and deeper on this. But um, I do want to kind of wrap it up. And but before I do this, all right, I want you to say tell tell me a little bit. Tell our audience a little bit about. The university that you're in, where you teach this, I know we talked a little bit at the beginning, but I actually have to walk out of frame so my man, Dan, can punch you up full and you can explain a little bit about where people could find out more about the Castleton uh, University and its uh, curriculum about cannabis. Sure. Tell us. Okay, well,
0: I I wanted to say one thing. You mentioned social equity at the beginning of our last uh, discussion. And I do want to say that, uh, of course, that's happening, right? Uh, I think almost every state uh, uh, that is looking at uh, legalizing uh, cannabis or medically or uh, adult use is is concerned with social equity and uh, those kinds of issues. And we are as well. And uh, I'm excited to report that fairly recently, the Vermont Cannabis Control Board uh, has contracted with uh, 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 Castle University and our program, Cannabis Studies Certificate Program, uh, to be to provide education as a kind of social equity uh, opportunity or benefit to those. Uh, um, so we're going to be this fall. We're going to be taking in our first students uh, um, from uh, recommended by the Cannabis uh, the Vermont Cannabis Control Board to take our courses, beginning with our business course. They believe that business is uh, one of the things that a lot of these uh, ca- these applicants are going to are going to require. But for anybody who's interested. In the program, uh, it's easy enough, uh, we're called, uh, the program is called uh, Castleton University's Cannabis Studies Certificate Program, uh, and if you just go to castleton.edu, uh, uh, you'll uh, come on to the uh, Castleton website, and if you just go up into the upper window, one of the search windows there, uh, and just type in cannabis studies, and it'll give you several links uh, to our, our webpage uh, on the, uh, the Castleton website. Um, and simple as that uh, it's people are right. certainly welcome to contact me, my information, my phone number my uh, email address is there if anybody is interested in uh, uh, courses, we uh, this this fall uh, beginning next week, two of the courses uh, will be offered, uh, mine uh, called Cannabis Culture and Consciousness is offered both in class and online, so students can take it online, uh, and the Cannabis class is also offered online in a synchronous format, so cl- there are classes, but they're online, our cultivation class uh, will be offered this spring semester. And then internships uh, happen uh, all year round at any particular time. We also offer all of the courses, the entire program uh, in, the, in the summertime.
1: So you mentioned uh, a couple of the books and I love the fact that you have them within arm's length. I, my arm would have to be about 10 feet long to get this book, but it is one that I just read. And I want to give a plug to, to this author, but I also want to give plugs to two other books that I read after I got my medical card in 2013, as part of the Massachusetts program, uh, because I've had four four major surgeries in 22 years to my body, I'm, my body's riddled with arthritis. Blah blah, 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 You don't want me to talk about my body, please. <laughs> no, if if you really want a reason why I'm as wacky as I am, I got dropped on my head when I was like six years old by a babysitter. Okay, and since then it's been all downhill. No, I'm only kidding. This is my story. The Cannabis Manifesto by Steve D'Angelo, who of course is the founder of the Last Prisoner Project. Uh, That is something that is a must read, I believe, for anybody that's interested in this industry, because he talks about his own personal experience. He talks about it through uh, growing up on the East Coast and ending up in California and becoming an advocate and helping to legalize it as a medicinal plant in the mid 90s. So, you know, he's been in the trenches for many, many years. He kind of looks like Willie Nelson. He's got the two pigtails and he wears a little hat. And he's really a cool guy. Met him, interviewed him, really enjoy him. And the other is Bruce Barcott, who's the editor of Leafly. He wrote Weed the People, which is also a documentary that I recommend. Those are great Um Pieces of media that can be shared with others, watched. I believe everything's on demand. You can get any piece of media you want if you just look for it and Google it. Everybody knows that. But this is a new book, okay? And it's, and it's written by a, a young man named Taras Batista, who is a former college athlete at Georgia State University. He's African-American. He was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the seventh round. He had a cup of coffee in training camp, and that was pretty much his professional career. But I've since gotten to know Taris a little bit, and he sent me his book, and I read his book. And people, I'm telling you, I couldn't put it down because, A, it was only 110 pages long. Okay, let's cut to the chase. It was a very quick read. But what is in here is one person's journey with this plant since age 12. And it's told from an African-American uh, perspective and experience and as an athlete, and I can totally relate to the things that he shared about how the plant and the, um, the, the cannabis had consumed him in his years, let's say, between 12 and 25. And then, of course, he became enlightened and learned more about it and really researched what was going on in this uh, advocacy movement. And talked with both sides of this argument, and there's plenty of them out there, and I'm not going to name names. But the point is, the point is, this is about the emotional journey that the plant has played with a young man, and how he got involved with it. Peer pressure, um, uh, anti-inflammatory. Didn't want to do opioids, so he used it as an anti-inflammatory. the The whole experience is in this book, and basically, the the title is. Don't let it smoke you, creating a non-toxic relationship with cannabis, which basically means don't let it consume your life. It's what we preach here at Pro Cannabis Media. We preach about responsible use, getting educated, taking the professor's class, learning about it, engrossing yourself in some articles that you will find and be enlightened about what this plant does, how it works, the effect on the endocannabinoid system that's in every mammal. OK, even little Wabbit running around the yard there. He's got a little endocannabinoid system. Learn about what is going on in it and the genetics. We, we talked a little bit about the uh, the seeds and, uh, and and the steering mechanisms that are with this cannabis plant, whether it's a sativa indica. It's the terpenes that drive the bus on the genetics and can impact what this plant does to you, whether it's a focus or it's a anti-anxiety or it's anti-seizure or it's anti-inflammatory. It's a fascinating time to be in this industry. So uh, Dr. Phil Lamy, thank you so much for joining us here today on In the Weeds. I really enjoyed talking with you and I hope you enjoyed listening to some of my rants because that's <laughs> kind of my style. you, you- <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Jimmy,
0: uh, very much. I, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun and hope to do it again. Remember,
1: everybody, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Hey. You wanna grow your own plants? Check out Style Lighting's Grow Kit. It has everything you need to become an expert home grower and bring the power of the sun indoors. Style Lighting uses TCP's high-powered commercial LEDs that deliver twice the output in the market. The Grow Kit has a grow bag, a timer, chains to hang the light, and of course the best in the business lighting system by TCP. Check out stylelighting.shop for more information. comes first.